Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazar, and today we're going to be previewing the much-anticipated Farmageddon matchup between your Kansas State Wildcats and the Iowa State Cyclones, also known as this year's most overrated team. Other than maybe Texas, but at least Texas can make some claim to be okay. Yeah, they have their own freshman receiver down there who just had a crazy Nutty game. Day. Yeah, he, he, in a single day, became K-State's leading receiver. Yep, <laughs> which is depressing when you think about it, but we're not here to talk about Texas. We are here to talk about Iowa State. So before we get into this year, let's go over their stats for last year. They were a 9-3 team last year with an 8-1 conference record, 2,340 rushing yards put at a clip of 5.1, 31 rushing touchdowns, 2,896 passing yards at a clip of 7.76 per attempt, 9 passing interceptions, a completion percentage of 66.8, 20 passing touchdowns, a third down percentage of 45, 14 sacks allowed, 32.92 points per game, and 395 total points for. So, offensively, they were a balanced and very good team last year, who, while they didn't take the best care of the football, they were able to do it and keep it in their hands enough to do some significant damage. And defensively, Connor's got you. Yep. Uh, points per game, they gave up 21.42 for a total of 257 points against them. They gave, they gave up 2,848 passing yards and 14 touchdowns through the air. On the ground, they gave up 1,237 rushing yards to 11 rushing touchdowns. In the red zone, they allowed a 17-35 to 35, uh, successful percentage. In the red zone, they had nine interceptions as a defense. They had eight fumble recoveries, 29 sacks, for a turnover differential of plus three. Yeah. So defensively, you can see, just by looking at the amount of rushing yards they gave up, they were a very, very good team defensively. And let's just take a look at who they return, and you'll understand quickly why that defense is still going to be good. Because they return Brock Purdy, the starting quarterback, Brees Hall, their leading rusher from last year, Xavier Hutchinson, their leading receiver, Mike Rose, the interception, tackle, and Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, Charlie Kolar, the starting tight end, Will McDonald, their leading sack getter, and Tavon Kyle, a cornerback who led the team in passes defensed. And who do they lose, Connor? They lost Kenne Nwangwu, a running back, the, literally the backup running back, and he got drafted, and that's it. Yep. That, that, that is the only person of note that they lost. Yep. They brought back basically everybody. Yep. Which, when you look at their schedule, you look at, hey, they were a 9-3 team last year. And they entered the season ranked number 9. You will now note that they are unranked. And their schedule has been interesting, to say the least. It's definitely been interesting, but yeah, that's for sure. Their first game was against the University of Northern Iowa. They ended up winning that game 16-10, to which, that's a game you expect a blowout, but I'm not one to throw stones. We almost lost to Southern Illinois. <laughs> yep. 
Then they played Iowa, who's currently ranked second. Second. They're up. At, they're yeah, they're, in, they're in second now. Yeah, they're currently ranked second. They lost to them at seventeen to twenty-seven. Then they played UNLV. UNLV got cyberbullied forty-eight to three. Then they played Baylor, who may be good this year. Uh, they are what I thought West Virginia was. They ended up losing to Baylor twenty-nine to thirty-one. And then they decided to beat up the poor kid down the street uh, in Kansas. They beat him up 59-7, to and now they play us. And you got the 2021 stats. Yep, so thus far, if you're keeping track, uh, they had a 3-2 record this year, 1-1 one one in conference. They have 913 rushing yards at 5.3 yards per rush attempt, which is slightly higher than they had last year. Uh, Passing-wise, they have 1,297 passing yards to 8.15 per attempt. They have nine passing touchdowns. They've thrown four interceptions. They have 11 rushing touchdowns to just two fumbles. Their third down percentage, though, is pretty below average. It's 36.21%. I like that now that we know what the average third down percent is, we point out if it's above or below. And no other stat we do that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Then uh, their points per game is 33.8 for a total of 169 points scored for that offense. They've allowed 78 points against them. And defensively, they've gotten four interceptions and two fumbles. So that gives them a turnover differential of zero, and they have 11 sacks. Yeah. So you'll notice something there. Uh, Their offense has taken a bit of a step back, especially in terms of third down percentage. But their defense is just as good as it was last year. Yep. The offense last year uh, was pretty great. Uh, They were surprisingly good through the air when you look back at the stats. Uh, just because you, since Brees Hall has such a prolific season, it is a little strange to see them do so well through the air. Uh, this year, uh, the big difference so far has been taking care of the football in clutch situations, which no. And, yeah, which no. Uh, Brees Hall, uh, I'm pretty sure one of those fumbles is Brock Purdy, and then the other one's Brees. The other one was Brees Hall on the Iowa 2-yard line. Uh, that's what I'm getting at is... Uh, Brees Hall, rare, very rare fumble for him, uh, put the defense in just a horrible spot. And then Brock Purdy with the other one, but he's Brock Purdy. And, but yeah, then the third down percent, not very good. So if that's a team you can force into third down, then you're going to do a lot better. In K-State's defense, uh, I believe at least compared to last year, they're much improved on third down. Yeah. So now let's get into the specific game notes, which will be considerably shorter than they have been in the last week's. Because, well, I figured that a lot of the things that I was writing, I would just say again later. So we're just going to cut that out for the sake of redundancy. But for the Iowa game, statistically, on offense, they had 87 rushing yards at a clip of 3.2 per carry, 252 passing yards at a clip of 5.8, one rushing touchdown, one passing touchdown to one interception, and then a... Oh, to three interceptions. My apologies. Uh, my, I need to get my glasses checked again. My vision is very bad. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is as well. We're, yeah. we're, we're some lack of vision kings over here. <laughs> exactly. But this is the stat that you may want to pay a lot of attention to. 25% on third downs. Yikes. With two sacks allowed. Yikes. I don't need to explain why that's bad, so you can go to defense. Yep. Uh, defensively, 
a totally different story from the offense. All granted, some context is kind of needed for these numbers. Uh, they gave up only 67 rushing yards and one rushing touchdown. Through the air, they gave up 106 pass yards and one touchdown. They got no interceptions. They got four sacks, and they did not force any fumbles. Defensively, that's just an unbelievable performance. But some context is needed. Uh, for example, the fumble on the two-yard line, you only have two possible yards to gain. <laughs> so there's only so much you can do with that on a score. No, 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 no. other side. Oh, other side? Yes. Oh, uh, well, then you have 98 yards to gain. So I don't know why their yardage totals are so low. No, a lot of the other times they were given the ball at, like, the 40 or the 30. So Yikes. But, yeah, anywho, Iowa still managed to score 27 points in this game. So even though Iowa's defense, Iowa State's defense, that is, uh, played excellent yardage-wise, they still were put in tough situations by the offense who, granted, struggled in their own right compared to what they normally do. Yeah. So let's get into the specific notes here. This game, they really enjoyed some motion, which they do always. And whenever they were get, whenever he was given any room, Brees Hall was himself, which is very good. Their best runs were zone runs, mostly relying on his vision. You know, the only bad thing from him this game was that fumble on, that, on the two-yard line. Maybe chalk that one up as a negative. Yeah, bit of a negative there. Yeah, you can get the, the next two since I stole two. Fair. Uh, the offensive line in this game, uh, they were actually a lot better at getting in the way uh, as opposed to blocking, which part of that is a testament to Iowa defensively, as we have seen Iowa is just a juggernaut on defense. Iowa good? Iowa is, in fact, good. They're ranked second. They They, they seem to be doing something right. And Iowa State, uh, their offensive line was just not able to handle Iowa's defense. And then number 57, Colin Newell on the offensive line for Iowa State. Is he the center? Yes. He is the center. Uh, He is a very heads-up player. So he is somebody to keep an eye on, at least based off of this game. Yeah. And then Brock Purdy made some really, really bad decisions. And... Funnily enough, a few of them actually did not result in interceptions. Like, two of the interceptions were not his fault. They were drops, which I don't understand how that happens twice in a game. If I had two nickels, <laughs> I'd have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it's happened twice. Um, but yeah, he he made some really bad decisions this game, whether it be drifting way too far back in the pocket we're just missing reads, which kind of is the Brock Purdy special at this point. Yep. The uh, the the shine or the, the shimmer on him is kind of starting to wear off a little bit on Brock Purdy. Uh, just lots of really questionable decisions. The few times that I've watched an Iowa State game live this year, he's just really not been impressive like at all, honestly. No. But then moving on to the receivers... Uh, one thing that we can note about them is they are not great at getting separation, which is great news for us because we have excellent corners. So, or the very least, good corners. It's hard to tell at this point, but they. Well, we know Echo's good, and then, uh, uh yeah. So they're not going to get much separation, at least not from the cornerbacks. So that is good. Yeah. Moving on to defense, there are a three-three-five team that runs that obnoxious three-high look that we and Oki State both run. Yeah, uh, the linebackers, uh, when they're coming in on a stunt, uh, they have 
this like weird hesitation. I'm not sure why they're doing that. Yeah. There's like some weird things about this defense. Kind of like every defense that we've covered, honestly. Like they just kind of have some stuff where it doesn't really seem like there's a rhyme or reason for it. That it just kind of happens. Yeah, which that also could just be me being worse at evaluating defenses than I am offenses. And, you know, you are probably a bit better at evaluating defenses than I. Which, really? Yes. I'm flattered. <laughs> um, he just winked. But the next thing to know is that there... <laughs> I I was very snarky <laughs> writing some of this. The game, this game, you probably could have quote. This is a quote. This game, you could have probably El Toroed the defensive line and then watched them fall on their face. <laughs> Meaning they just kind of speared themselves at you. In other words, they didn't keep their heads up. That's all that means. <laughs> That's just a, a very snarky way of saying that they were not technically sound in yes. that element of their game. Uh, and then number nine, Will McDonald the fourth. Uh, he has decent bend for his size uh, coming off of a six alignment, but that man is just utter garbage and rotten defense. So. Yeah, which is like understandable. I could any I could genuinely see him getting drafted this year as a pass rusher, just because of how technically sound he is. He honestly might be. This is gonna sound like really high praise, especially given how old Will McDonald is and how young the player I'm comparing him to is. I compare him to Nate Matlick, because they're both technically sound pass rushers who have a lot of room to grow in with run defense. The difference is Nate Matlick is a redshirt freshman. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so uh, and Will McDonald's a senior, so. <laughs> it, I think you got the next one. Yeah, and in terms of coverage, they ran both man and zone with a little bit of match in between, which is technically just zone. But shut up, I like calling it something different because it's both zone and not. Yep. Uh, during this game. Uh, the Iowa running back, number 15. I think his name is Goodson. Probably. I think it's Goodson, because we watched the Iowa-Penn State game. It's, I think his name's Goodson. Really good game. Yeah, excellent game. Uh, other than the parts that weren't, which was a lot of the game, actually. But it ended up really good. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, that was a really entertaining game down the line. Anywho, back to this one. Uh, he was a, This Iowa running back, he was a very good receiving threat that Iowa State just kind of didn't know what to do with. Which, if you hear that, you're salivating. Oh, yes. If Yeah, if we hear any teams running back doing anything remotely serviceable in the receiving game, we should immediately be writing that down. <laughs> yeah. Their DBs were fine. Uh, they handled their responsibilities well enough. But when they were asked to flip their hips on, say, if they were given a double move, they just kind of seemed very stiff, no pause, in the way that they were moving. And it that's really not what you want in your defensive backs. No, not at all. But the only receiver that I could see taking advantage of that on K-State is Phillip Brooks. Very, you mean Landry Weber's not going to do anything about it? Moving on. Mike Rose, <laughs> linebacker for Iowa State. He's very good at the game of football. That is all. 
Yeah. I have nothing to add. This next one may require a bit of explanation. In power versus power situations, they're really bad. But if you try to spread them out and run power, they are very good. So if you line up in Cro-Magnon formation, odds are you're probably going to gain a couple of yards. Probably about four or five. Just because their gap discipline in that specific situation is really poor. But if you try to spread them out and run like A-gap power from a two or three wide look, their defensive line is good enough at eating space and their linebackers are good enough at filling gaps that they will out they will out they will beat you there see this is a really interesting point to me because that's both really good and also really bad for k-state at the same time it basically just means that we're going to focus on one sort of thing that we do as opposed to trying to use both which is we like to run power both in a just a straight up power formation and then also in spread uh spread we we love to use a gap power and just throw deuce behind the guards and say yeah. and just see what happens uh but we also really like doing it from under center and also from the diamond pistol aka the mobile chromagnon <laughs> and so we'll just have to be situational with how we use a gap power in this game which mess i hope you're listening to this we can't run a gap power every single time <laughs> mess you can't keep running a gap power every game a <laughs> gap power go burr. A gap power go burr. <laughs> anyway, so similar to oh wait no that's you. Oh yeah, it is. I, I talked too long about the other one. It's okay. But there's no such thing yeah. as talking too long on the Aggieville Elder Cats podcast. Yeah, but there's one thing we can do. It's ramble. But their defense. Uh, this was nice to hear. Uh, they have a lot of trouble up the seam, which is pretty much well known as like our biggest weak spot i mean we everybody knows it even we know it we just can't do anything about it yeah, which <laughs> like, is a shame yeah but they are very similar granted they run a similar defense uh to us so a lot of their weak spots are going to be the same as our weak spots defensively but they allow a lot of stuff up the seam i like the sound of that as long as skyler can put the ball on point which depends on which skyler we get are we going to get Stanford Skyler or are we going to get OU Skyler? I hope it's OU Skyler. I like OU Skyler. Honestly, I take something in between. Like generally, that would be pretty good. Yeah, if I had to pick between the two, I'd pick OU Skyler. Well, yeah. <laughs> Actually, if I had to pick in between, I'd still pick OU Skyler. But it, that's a different debate for a different day. So I only took notes on two games. Why? Because it only took. I watched more than two. Let me clarify. I watched more than two. I watched Iowa. I watched as much as I could of KU, which wasn't much. I watched a bit of you and I, and I watched Baylor, which is the next game on the notes. I have a pretty decent idea of what the team will do, and by extension, so do you, pointing at Connor. And by the end of the episode, so will you, microphone that we are talking into. <laughs> But next up is Baylor, and offensively, they had 216, Iowa State had 216 yards on the ground, 5.4 yards per attempt, 263 passing yards at 7.9 per attempt, one passing touchdown to one passing interception, two rushing touchdowns, a 35% third down percentage, and two sacks allowed. That third down percentage, yet again just sticks out like a sore thumb because this is actually a very good offensive day for Iowa State on paper. Mm -hmm. 
But wow, that 35% on third down is pretty awful. Yeah. Like, and that's like their season average, too. Yep. So the defensively, they gave up 153 rushing yards and one touchdown. And passing, they gave up 159 yards and two touchdowns. They didn't get any interceptions. They got two sacks, and they recovered one fumble. Yeah. So offensively, there's very little. There are very few notes here because there's very little to say in this game that is not a general theme. Uh, they still use a lot of motion. I'm not counting that as a point, so I'll take the next one. Yeah, the stat line won't show it, but Baylor's defensive line was very, very like dominant this game. Bar for a few runs from Brees, it was either they would get a yard or TFL'd, and then Brees would just decide, I'm good, and will run for like a gain of 10. Yeah, that kind of sounds like Brees, but... I'll go ahead and take the next two because I'm honestly not counting this very first this first one either is a yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. But because it, it's literally just Brees Hall is good. Because he is. Yeah, he's like, very Bre- good. Brees Hall is a very good running back. Um but then the next point is that Brock Purdy still made some really, really dumb decisions in this game. Starting to notice an overarching theme with Brock Purdy maybe just not making a lot of good choices. Maybe not being as elite and great as we thought. Anyone who drafts him is making a mistake if they draft him. Perhaps. Yeah, defensively, they were comically bad against the QB run this game and the QB scramble. Which, how much of that is Gary Bohannon being really, really fast? And how much of that is their defense being bad? I would say it's about 50-50, but they were so comically bad against it that... I still think that's an advantage for K-State. Yep, especially if Skyler has healed up a little bit in these last couple weeks and is able to maybe take a couple designed runs that we can use situationally. But then we have the defensive backs. They were not very good in contested catch situations. Granted, part of this is an Iowa State defensive backs just like kind of being a little stiff thing. And it's also kind of a Baylor receivers have just always been really oddly good at making contested catches. Like, just thinking back, I'm thinking about guys like Corey Coleman. I'm thinking about uh, Denzel Mims and other guys, Katie Cannon. You know, other random Baylor receivers throughout the years that have just been good for literally no reason. Like, they just, like, they'll show up to your school, just moss one of your defensive backs and leave. Um, <laughs> Refuse to elaborate. Yeah, but that's just maybe a Baylor thing, but Iowa State's defensive backs still not the strongest unit on earth. Yeah. And you wouldn't know it from the score, but this was a really, like, surprisingly good game for Iowa State's defense. And again, you wouldn't know it by the score, but Iowa State's defense still played admirably this game. Did they play as well as they would expect to? No. But they didn't play horribly. And that's all we had to say about this game in particular, because the rest is just overarching themes. And I'll, I'll take Brock Purdy. So we're going to go through position by position and go over notable players or players that are starting that aren't rotational, which explains some people on this list. But let's start with the quarterback, Brock Purdy, who was benched earlier this year for poor performance. And uh, he, to me, he's the ultimate fine Big 12 quarterback. 
He's not going to wow you with anything, at least consistently. He has a solid arm, decent accuracy. Pocket presence is kind of bad in that he'll run 15 yards back or just into a sack. And he's just not a very fast processor of defenses. And I, First off, I don't know why they still use him in the option game because he's not fast. You see how people bully Will Howard for being slow? Yeah, no, that's actually just Brock Purdy. But he's fine. To me, a best the best comparison to make of him it was Baylor's quarterback, Charlie Brewer. That's actually a comp you made, so credit to you. Yep. He, this year, at least this is what I said earlier, Brock Purdy this year is basically what Charlie Brewer was for like the last three seasons at Baylor while he was still there. Just completely aggressively average. (laughs) Purdy has the benefit, though, of being in an offensive system that is like tailor-made to make him very comfortable. So it's honestly kind of telling that like he isn't having a great season, like especially compared to last year, which granted last year just has asterisks all over it. We can't draw a ton of conclusions from last year other than like Brees Hall and Charlie Collard good and yeah but yeah brock um he has definitely been questionable this year especially his decision making like you said so i don't know there's not a ton more to say about brock other than if he has a great day against k-state that will be concerning yeah very concerning yeah which it's possible because we gave up what 300 passing yards to spencer sanders Yep. Don't know how that happened. Yeah, no clue how that happened. We're just going to pretend that the first half of that game was just a bad dream because despite us losing to OU and the defense not playing well and us getting kind of wrecked by Oklahoma State, that first half was truly an anomaly in terms of defensive performance, at least thus far. Like, it was unusually awful. And even compared to, like, OU and whatnot, like we we just we weren't allowing like these massive plays against OU, so yeah, I wouldn't get too much into it, I guess. But yeah, we can move on from Brock Purdy. I'll take uh, the running backs, uh, specifically Brees. And uh, memes aside, we like to make fun of Brees on this podcast. Bryson Corridor. I call him Bruce Wayne. There's all sorts of fake names for him. That's mainly just to make Iowa State fans mad because it's very, very, it's very easy. Funny. It's it's funny and it's very easy. <laughs> They're one of the most sensitive fan bases that I've ever seen in any sport ever. And so despite you know us making fun of Brees, he is a top two running back in the Big 12. And he would be the undisputed number one if it were not for Bijan Robinson at Texas. He's certainly top three along with Deuce Vaughn. I would say, although you can throw Jalen Warren up there now. Uh, he's by far their best traditional runner. And you can play at multiple speeds to slip tackles. Arm tackles mean nothing to this man. And he is a just straight-up powerful runner with a very good stiff arm. He is just a classically great tailback. Yeah. And that should be disconcerting given our tackling issues. Yep. But... Wide receivers, we have a bit of good news because this is probably their weakest unit on the offensive side of the ball, except for maybe right tackle. But 
that's led by number eight, Xavier Hutchinson, who's definitely their best pure receiver. He's very shifty with his footwork, and if if he catches any defensive back leaning towards one direction, he knows exactly when to snap his route short or whether to keep it going until they do turn around. He knows exactly when to do that to bait a defensive back into a bad man coverage decision. But on the whole, that's about the best bright spot they have. Everyone else is fine. Their route running is not great, but fine. Their hands are below average, but again, could be considered fine. If given the opportunity to pick between K-State's receiver's room and Iowa State's receiver's room, I would ask you to shoot me, but I would also take K-State's receiver's room. That is very interesting that you would take K-State's receiver's room, which I don't know if that's an indictment at Iowa State or an endorsement of ours, but I feel like if we had had this conversation, I feel like if the positions of the OU and Iowa State game were flipped, I think we would take Iowa State's in a heartbeat. (laughs) Yeah. But because of the OU game where we saw the receiver room have a pulse and just not even have like like an incredible day, just by other school standards, a good day, which for us is an incredible day, I guess, especially considering some of the performances we've seen. But yeah, receiver room for Iowa State, especially going up against our boundary corners, that is something to keep an eye on. But a tight end, uh, number 88, Charlie Kolar, he is the guy at that position. He is the best tight end in the Big 12. It's not particularly close. The only other person in the same universe as him is probably Austin Stogner. Yeah. And he's not nowhere. He's nowhere near as good as Charlie Kolar is. He will make an NFL team very happy. He's a he's a good blocker and a much better receiver than that. And that's not an indictment on his blocking. That's just he's great at receiving. Yeah. And he's a better route runner than some of the receivers on this team, which is kind of hilarious, honestly. <laughs> but yeah, he is just a cheat code. Um. I, I am scared of Charlie Kolar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's going to be a problem. And the fact that he has not been a bigger problem, because their leading receiver this year it has been Xavier. Yeah. But the fact that he's not been a bigger problem than he has been this year is nothing short of a miracle. Or yep. bad scheming. Take your pick. Although, we can completely delete him from this game if we put Reggie Stubblefield on him. Right. No one gets past the sauce boss. Okay. So now let's talk about their offensive line. Their left side being very, very experienced. Their right, less so. I think their right side, their right guard has 15 starts and their right tackle has 10. Somewhere in there. Don't quote me on it. But the left side of their line has been starting for multiple years. And in pass pro, the one overarching theme about the offensive line is that if you overload, if you overload, wow, overload one side of the line and then blitz the other, they kind of like have a Windows 32 like delete system 32 moment to where they just shut down. They don't know what to do. And I don't know why Iowa didn't do this more than like twice because Baylor did it like twice too and it worked both times. At least it generating pressure. So uh if you're listening, Klanderman, please, is all I ask. But in terms of linemen, I will take the right side. If you want to take the left side, I'll take center too. Cool. 
At left tackle, they have number 75, Sean Foster. Uh, he's not really quick with his footwork, but he does have good hands, and he's also very experienced. So on the offensive line, experience normally just does wonders, especially at the collegiate level. So now left guard, they have number 52, Trevor Downing. He is kind of grabby with his blocks, but if he gets momentum behind him, he has won the block. Sorry, sweaty. Good luck. <laughs> that On this report, this is also a quote from Ace. He says, that's me saying he's a good pulling blocker. <laughs> I don't know why I just like, bullied Iowa State in this report sometimes. Yeah, no reason. Just weed over corn, I guess. Always. So now let's go over the slightly less experienced side of the line. Well, even though you have the center, who I believe is the second most experienced other than the left tackle. Colin Newell, number 57. He's definitely the smartest lineman they have and definitely the best, well, probably the best blocker as well. Which, if you're going to pick one position to be the smartest player on your line, you probably want to pick center. That's why the blocking schemes with Oklahoma with Creed Humphrey and without Creed Humphrey are so different. They're still effective because Oklahoma is just better than you on the offensive line, but Creed Humphrey made a big difference and still does make a pretty big difference on KC. But the right guard, Daryl Simmons, number 55. Mahler is the first word that comes to mind, and yet one of the last is technically sound. Uh, he's not very technically sound at all. He's just bigger than you and wants to bully you. Uh, if you bull rush him, you will lose. If you spin around him, he will start crying and not be able to touch you. Uh, Felix Andy Dike Uzoma is making a few house calls. Things you love to hear. Things you love to hear. That is, unless he's put up against the right tackle, number 72, Jake, oh goodness me, Remsburg? Remsburg. Remsburg. And they also experimented with number 64, Derek Schweiger, in this spot as well. Uh, both are bad. Like, both aren't good. They're downright sloppy with their footwork and pass protections, especially on interior rush. They're fine run blockers, but they're more the type of people that get in people's way as opposed to, you know, driving someone down to the block, which they'll still win if they're up against a linebacker, but if they get backdoored by the linebacker, they just kind of sit there like, huh, I think I did my job. But overall, the right side of the offensive line is definitely their weakness. So if you're going to pick a side to overload in pass rush, which not sure we've done a lot of overloading this year. We would pick that side because they're less experienced and also not as good. I am down with that. But I think you are right. We don't do a ton of overloading with this defense, but there's a team to do it against. It's going to be Iowa State just because they're just going to be so they're just, they're just going to be so much more obviously vulnerable on a specific side of the line. So that's definitely something that we should be aiming for. They honestly are... Did. The last time we made fun of a line, it was Oklahoma State, and we died, so... Yep. We Well, they were an anomaly in that they pretended to be bad for three games, <laughs> and now they're just great. So, yeah. we... Who knows what's up with them. But I feel pretty confident in what we think about Iowa State just because we've seen more of them. Like, I, I don't think Remsburg got good with... <laughs> no, he didn't. So... But yeah, then defensive line, uh, I don't know, do you want to alternate this or do you just want me to take this position group? Uh, either or. 
Which one do you prefer? I'll just take the position group. Okay. Uh, number nine, Will McDonald. He's a defensive end. Uh, we've already spoken about him a little bit. Uh, he's a very good pass rusher. Uh, he's uh, bendy and shifty for a three-three-five end, which is a little bit surprising. And uh, he has a nice blend of power as well. Uh, run defense is a different story. Um, he's not a liability, but he's not great at it by any stretch of the imagination. So I'm not sure what, what side he plays on, but... Typically, I think he lines up uh, right-handed, right-hand side. Okay. I think he may flip sometimes, but if I'm remembering correctly, he plays mostly on the right side. Gotcha. So that would be Duffy. Right. No, wait, right side of the defense, so that would be Left, left side offense. Yeah. Which, okay, so we don't need to worry about him. Yeah, bye. Then, <laughs> goodbye. Bye, Will McDonald. <laughs> I mean, if I would say it was smart, they would flip their pass rushers this week because BB will just delete you. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, he deleted... Or if I'm wrong, they'll just pick to the other side. Yeah. But, I mean, he deleted, I like, think, Benito. Like, yeah, he's, he, he's going to be a first-round pick. He can take care of anybody. But, yeah, a nose tackle, that number 58, uh, he... Good luck. I've, I've never struggled with the name this hard before. I got it earlier, but uh, Ayoma Uwazarika. Ayoma Uwazarika. I'm confident in my last name pronunciation here. Okay. I I simply don't know on the first name. It's okay. Ayoma, if you hear this, I am sorry if I missed up, if I miss. Props yeah. to you for listing this far into the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, this is their most rotated position, so starter is kind of irrelevant. Uh, but pass rushing, their nose tackle just isn't going to do that. Uh, they're going to take up as many blocks as possible. The It's nose tackle. The, imagine Timmy Horn, but on Iowa State. Not as and good. Also worse. Yeah, not as good as Timmy Horn, but same responsibilities. Like, just take up space. That is it. Yeah. Congratulations. That is your Iowa State nose tackle. And then they have one more since they all happen in 335 at defensive end, uh, number 55, Zach Peterson. Uh, he's a motor pass rusher. Uh, doesn't do anything particularly special. His run defense is fine because uh, he maintains his cap. That's about it on Zach Peterson. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, there's Just, not much to say. He is an average defensive end. Yeah. That's about it. Now we can take linebackers. And remember when I said earlier that there are some people that are listed that are just like, yeah, they start and don't get rotated out a whole lot. Yeah, that's number 35, Jake Hummel. He exists, I guess. That's really all I can say about him. He doesn't do anything horrible, but he doesn't do anything well. He's fine. If you're going to pick a linebacker to bully... Actually, no, you're better off bullying number 34, the next linebacker, Orion Vance. Because in coverage, he's better at covering grass than people. In other words, he's bad in coverage. Because he will stand in a spot of grass that he was told to stand in and not move. Because that is not what he was told to do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, depth especially is his issue because sometimes he just doesn't get enough depth whenever he's going back into coverage, which is why the seam gets left open so often. But as a blitzer, which they love doing from this 3-3-5 offense, defense, 
Yes, they're running a th- the coveted three three five offense. The rare three three five offense. That's just a monster package. Anyway, as a blitzer, he's very good. He's very powerful. He comes downhill very quickly, and if he gets his hands on you, he's not the most secure tackler. But if he gets you square, you're getting popped. Which luckily he has yet to square a whole lot of people up. But yeah, he's very powerful as a blitzer. Then they have their best defensive player, followed closely by Will McDonald. But their best defensive player is number 23, Mike Rose. Not to be confused with Mike Rowe. (laughs) That joke didn't land. But he's good in just about every aspect of his game. And not like, oh, he's okay. No, he's good at every aspect of his game. He's better at tackling than coverage, but still is a good cover linebacker. He's someone that is, without a doubt, their best player on defense. I don't think it's particularly close, but when asked to blitz, I guess if I had to pick one weakness in his game, he's not the greatest blitzer, but I also would rather have a linebacker like him than I would the other two linebackers. Yeah, Mike Rowe's good. Mike Rowe's very good. I will take on the defensive backs here. We've mentioned this a few times already, but uh, this group as a whole, they have issues with uh, getting their hips flipped and driving. Uh, that's why this defense doesn't do very well with timing plays, like, at all. So, uh, you can pick on number 25, TJ Tampa, a lot. And they've also gotten very, very lucky that of all the quarterbacks that they have faced, none of them have seen some of the busted coverage that they've had. Uh, they've gotten very lucky with that st- thus far. But granted, they haven't been facing the best QBs. I mean, honestly, who is the best quarterback that they would have faced? The Pet- guy from UNI who's transferring? Yeah, uh, McIlvain, I yeah. think is his name. Yeah, followed by Petrus, then maybe Jason Bean. Yeah. That's no, not the- Gary Bohannon is better than Petrus. Oh, I forgot they faced Bohannon. Yeah. yeah, you're right. I forgot about Baylor. But yeah, Bohannon is still not the most experienced uh, passer either. Like they were just taking everything underneath in that game, from what I could tell. So yeah, they are they are lucky. Uh, but now they're facing six year experienced Skyler Thompson, man. who is unable, who literally cannot scramble. Like it is not allowed. Must maintain in his pocket. Yep, he he is being forced to make reads, which is bad for Iowa State. And hopefully good for us. Hopefully. Now, let's talk about the play calling. Offensively, they're not a tempo team. They're, they're probably the slowest team that we faced all year. No, Stanford. They are the second slowest team that yeah. we faced all year. Yeah, I was about to say, Stanford was pretty slow. Yeah, they were glacial. Uh, they're kind of like the anti-K-State with their motion. Meaning that, yeah, they motion their receivers a lot, but they never hand them the ball. The only thing that I can imagine it's doing is flipping the run fit. But the problem is that doesn't really work if you're never giving the ball to the receiver. Because they just know, wait a minute, they're not giving that to him. Why should I care? And they just fit the run the same way. And that's why Iowa was so good against the run. Because they just refused to change. But... Anyway, when running the ball, they're much better at zone than gap schemes, and that's because Brees Hall is a better running back than their offensive linemen are offensive linemen. 
And I think they know that too, given how much they seem to prefer uh, zone-heavy schemes or occasionally duo, which is zone, but not. It's basically run forward and double-team everyone. So by the loosest definition of the word, it's a gap scheme. But in teams of play action and straight dropbacks, they are about the same on both. They're not going to be like Oklahoma, where every single passing play is play action, even if they don't really deserve it, but it still works because they're Oklahoma and their receivers are better than you. You want to take defense? I will. Uh, There's something that they absolutely love on defense, and it is blitz bailing. They love blitz bailing. Why? Who knows? But Uh, they love it. We may want to explain blitz bail. Right. So basically, blitz bailing is you have your linebackers stand up in gaps that are not occupied by defensive linemen, and they either blitz straight forward from that stand-up position, or they take two steps forward, try to get an engaged block, and then run backwards. It's popularized by Mike Zimmer. He's the current Vikings head coach, among other people. But, yeah, it's very good at sowing confusion, especially when they use coffeehouse technique, which is literally smack you, and then if they decide to block you, run backwards, and if they don't decide to block you, murder the quarterback. It's very good if you know how to run it, and they know how to run it. So blitz bailing. Yeah, blitz bailing. That's it. And that also is probably a pretty big reason why we theorize here at the Aggieville Alley Cats that we asked Oklahoma State, not Iowa State, about the 3-3-5. Granted, today Chris Kleiman said that they watched a lot of Iowa State film on the 3-3-5, but I imagine that when it came to actually talking to coaches, we probably talked a bit more to Oklahoma State just because their defense is just so similar to what we run. Yeah. And... Iowa State is similar, but they do some specific things different. One of those things is blitz bailing. We don't do a ton of that. Do we do any of that? Like a little bit? We do. I've seen us do it a few times, but we don't do it in the true way of we have people on the line and then they back up and someone else comes in. That's something Iowa State does a few times, but we're not truly as... We're not... That's not our M.O. Blitzbail is Iowa State's M.O. Right. Um, And then they're not as creative with their stunts, but they're still good at blitzing. Like, they're nowhere near Oklahoma State in terms of creativity. Not the same universe. And, uh, but that doesn't really matter for them. They're still good at blitzing. uh, And they do it quite a bit. Uh, However, defensively, they get let down by their offense a lot. Like a lot, a lot, and the it, it's kind of hilarious how often they are put into just an absolutely terrible situation by their offense or by their special teams or whatever, what or have you, both or both in the same two tries. So, yeah, the defense they're still good. They just they can't rely on the other units. Uh, then their run defense it's not porous, <laughs> but it's not great. It's it's fine. It's average. Yeah, nothing crazy. And then the final miscellaneous note is they're not a great third down team. They've only converted 36%, which is well below average. 
Now, let's go into the stories going into this game. You got the first. Yep. Uh, something that we should be uh, taking tabs on is they were not very good against KU's running game. They gave up 175 yards to KU, and they really didn't get any sacks on them. And KU's offensive line is just horrible. Bad for KU standards. Yeah. And they were not able to get a single sack on them that is something to watch yeah uh both teams are coming off bye weeks which would mean a lot if we were coached by andy reed but i still have faith in this in this to get us more prepared for this week especially given that iowa state is not wholly unique of a team that we've seen but of course they're a different team they're not just going to be the gap between let me say it like this the gap between Oklahoma State and Oklahoma is considerably shorter than the gap from Oklahoma to Iowa State in terms of schematics. Okay, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I hope that came across as clear. I think so. Okay. <laughs> Another thing to know about Iowa State is they have had two competitive games against equal competition that being Iowa and Baylor, and they dropped both of those games. So their wins uh, have been blowouts, either that or close games against... Northern Iowa. Yeah, or a close game against Northern Iowa, which they should win that anyways. When they're facing Power 5 teams and they've been competitive, it's a small sample size, but if you push back, they can crumble a little bit, is basically what we've seen thus far. Uh, that remains to be seen if we can replicate that success. But they uh, did not put up... They, they didn't do enough, basically, against equal competition. Yeah. And say what you will about this K-State team. They have not laid down and died for anyone. Nope. So I think this might end up being a dogfight. But, of course, the next story that we have to talk about going into this game is it's not really a story for the team. It's uh, more a story for their fan base because we have... Here's what's on the line. If we lose this game, we will have to hear for the next month, It's Brocktober, guys! Guys, it's Brocktober! It's Brocktober. It's if not you hadn't Brocktober. Heard. We need to... Like, if we lose this game, we have to listen to it for the next month. So please win this game because it's not Brocktober. Brocktober is ending early this year. In fact, it's ending permanently. Forever. That Gone forever. Gone forever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Rocktober is extremely... considers itself a man of faith. And there's a... Castellanos drive to left field, field, making it a 4-0 ball game. <laughs> Not sure how much longer I'll be doing this. Not so much doing this. <laughs> but anywho, Rocktober coming to a swift end. Uh, another thing that we need to watch is, can K-State's defense counter a team that... It sees that sees it every week. So, can they counter a three-three-five team? So, will Iowa State's? Here's the better way to word this: Will Iowa State's offense be able to take advantage of the fact that K State's running a three-three-five because their defense runs a three-three-five? And granted, it is not the same three-three-five in terms of philosophy. It is still one in terms of personnel. Yep. And then also that question could be asked vice versa as yeah. well. So, well, I, I'd I'd say it's more of a question for Iowa State because of how long they've been running a three three five. True. 
And then we come down to the uh, the last one, which is... Can K-State's defense tackle someone? Specifically, Brees Hall. Because if Iowa... Here's, here's my take. If Iowa State wins this game, it's not off the back of the defense. It's not off the back of Brock Purdy. It's not even off the back of Charlie Kolar. It is off of the back of Brees Hall. And if they win this game, it is because we cannot tackle Brees Hall, which is a very real possibility. Yeah, that is something we have to consider. This could be a very frustrating game to watch from a tackling perspective unless we get it figured out and we're able to just swarm the ball. Because that's going to be the really the only surefire way to even have a shot at tackling him is to gang tackle. We're going to need to get one person to just get there and hold on for dear life. Unless you're Daniel Green, you should be able to make this tackle. Yeah. Or Timmy Horn. I expect Timmy Horn to make this tackle. Well, Timmy Horn will just throw the center back at him. That would be pretty awesome if he did that. But it's going to come down to KCC defense to stop Brees. Because very few people have been able to do it thus far. It's going to be keeping him contained. And just giving him as few lanes to run through as possible. Courtesy of Timmy Horn. And then plug the remaining ones. Yeah. So now let's get into the projected offensive and defensive MVPs. We're actually in agreement on the offensive MVP. We both think it's going to be the legend himself, Skylar Thompson. And that's because there's a couple of deficiencies, we'll call them, with Iowa State's defense. And that's seam coverage and their defensive backs. Which... Granted, means that K-State's receivers need to step up, but they made a massive step forward two weeks ago, and I expect and hope that trajectory continues and Skylar Thompson will be able to find maybe Tyrone Howell, maybe Tyrone Howell making a contested catch given how bad these DBs are in those situations. Yep. Tyrone Howell was a guy that was singled out by Chris Kleiman in his press conference this week. So maybe someone to keep an eye on going into. He also mentioned Crew Jackson on the defensive side of the ball, which I think it's because since Khalid Duke has been hurt, they're looking for people to take that hybrid DN linebacker role, and Crew yeah. is on campus specifically for that. So. Yeah, and Boom is out. So Yeah, and Boom is out as well. So we've got guys like Cartez Crook-Jones cracking the two deep right now, which he, I think he has like one tackle in his career in four years. Don't worry, he's going to come through, guys. He's going to get five sacks this game. I... I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be nice. I would take it. But yeah, we're both in agreement. What do you? Have, what reasons do you have for Skyler? Is it the same? Uh, it's roughly the same. Basically, I have Skyler just because he is the engine that makes the offense go. Um, I believe in Will Howard, but not quite yet. He's just not ready to completely take this offense and run it himself. Uh, especially if the receivers for some reason can catch a Skylar Thompson ball and not a Will Howard ball. Don't know what's up with that. It, it is... I, I have no explanation for it. No, neither. But, yeah, Skylar Thompson, he... It's mainly... It stems from his confidence. Uh, it was the most confident I'd ever seen him uh, in the OU game. I mean, he was just completely composed. Like, he, he just had, like... He, he had something about him at the OU game. Like, he... He was ready to come back, and he, he, he looked like a new quarterback passing the ball. It was the best passing performance he's had at K-State, bar none. And I don't know. I think Skyler by far gives us the best chance to win this game, especially if we can, if we can get even a little mobility from him. Just a couple designed runs to throw him off. Uh, that's enough. 
honestly, this game. We don't need him to run it like ten times. Three times is enough. Yeah. So, defensive MVPs. I actually have Jerron McPherson, who has had a quiet season thus far. But I think that the way our defense has been playing, I think a lot of it will have to come down to maybe kicking Jerron McPherson down to play more in the box than he has in these last few weeks, maybe sending him on the blitz on a few blitzes. And I think that even with the improvements made with one particular member of the linebacker room, I still think that Jerron McPherson is the most secure tackler. And that's really going to be the key for K-State, is tackling. So I think the best tackler will end up winning the day. And I think that maybe even J-Mac gets a signature Brock Purdy interception. I have basically the same reason, but a different guy. And that's Daniel Green. We need somebody that can be a secure tackler in space. And I have Daniel Green as that potential man, not just because of Jerome McPherson, who I do think is probably the most secure tackler on the team. I have it as Daniel Green just because he can match Brees Hall in size. I worry about Jerome McPherson having to go against Brock, uh, not Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, who is a large individual. And Daniel Green uh, is actually quite a bit bigger than Brees Hall. And he is a great athlete. If nothing else, I expect Daniel Green to get hands on him and slow him down and hold him while other people can fly to the ball and finish the job. Daniel Green is integral to the success of the team. We, we just need a linebacker to really step up this game because they did not have a spectacular game by any stretch of the imagination against OU. So we really need a linebacker to step up in the run game and be an enforcer and let them know that it's not going to be easy yards. Yeah. So... Now we get into score projections in which Ace is hilariously wrong because he's wrong hilariously every single week. And it's not even been close any of these weeks. But I actually have this being a comfortable victory for Kansas State because, well, I think that K-State is a much better team than they were last year. And I think they're a better team than they were in 2019. A much better team than they were in 2019 and we ended up beating them in Manhattan that year so I think why not again and I think this is assuming that we can stop Brees Hall I think that this is a 35 to 24 victory in favor of your Kansas State Wildcats I have a Cats victory as well uh, it's a similar score but it's a little different on one end uh, it's 35 to 34 for the Cats. You may be asking, where does that 34 come from? I have it as a touchdown for Iowa State on the final play in regulation, and then they followed up by shanking the extra point. <laughs> and then Brock Purdy cries. And then Brock Purdy cries. Uh, as Brocktober comes to a close. And then the student section starts clapping. It's like, Brocktober's over. Oh, that doesn't really flow very well, Wait. sadly. No, it's Brocktober. That's even better because it's mocking it. Yeah. He's like, we want Caleb. And, and we got Caleb just a week later. And he's actually better. So we were asking for the right thing. We were trying to help OU out, actually. It seems. It was our final parting gift. Yep. But yeah, 35, 34, cats. Um, I'm worried about Iowa State in the run game, but I will give the defense one more leap of faith just because maybe it's wishful thinking. 
but I, I like I'm, I'm going to give them the old college try. Yeah, because if they don't perform well this week, they've lost the benefit of the doubt with me. Yes, they 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 lose mob privileges. No, they've already lost them. They haven't gotten them back yet. Well, could they do it this week? Yes. What Will they? Do? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that that pretty well wraps up everything that we wanted to say. If you want to reach out and contact the show, we are at Aggieville A Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we're at AggievilleAllyCats at gmail.com. Okay. <laughs> if you want to reach us out on a more personal note, I am at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. If you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out our merch store, where we have such design as, as Neon Alley Cats and Play Sandstorm Cowards. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.